You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Crossroads Grace, how are we feeling this morning? Come on. Yeah. Oh, man, it's such an honor to be with you guys. Um, we hail all the way from Indianapolis, Indiana, and so we've had quite the travel out here. I'm here with my wonderful wife, Christy, sitting down here on the front row. And, uh, man, we're just honored and thrilled to be able to not just be here, you know, with you guys, but also to, to sense and see what God is doing here. I've, I've grown very fond of Pastor Brian and the a short amount of time that we've known each other, but man, I'm, I'm just so proud of you guys and what God's doing in you, what he's doing through you. I can sense a really sweet spirit and culture at this church, and so why don't you give yourself a hand, come on, for what God's doing in your life, what you're allowing him to do. I love that, and uh, I, my name is Davey Blackburn. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I'm a podcast host and teaching pastor and author, and, and uh, I have one wonderful wife, Christy. We have three kids, Natalia, Weston, and Cohen. Natalia's Eight, Weston is seven, and Cohen is two. And uh, we have two dogs. We have like a 100-pound Great Pyrenees, and then we have like this little tiny miniature dachshund. So it just, it's a little bit odd in the Blackburn home, but it is. It's, like, it's our life. It's, we love it, right? But um, both Christy and I underwent some, uh, some pretty, pretty big trauma over the course of our lives and um, in just our short amount of time that we've lived here on earth. And so we've blended our family. Her daughter's from a previous marriage. My son, Weston, is from a previous marriage. And we blended, and then Cohen, our two-year-old, is ours together. And so we're walking that, like, blended family journey. And what we get to do is we have a ministry called Nothing is Wasted, where I get to travel the country and share my story and really help people and churches, as they're helping people, to go from pain to purpose. And we want to help intersect people in their trauma, tragedies, and major life transitions and help them to partner with God to take back their story. Because how many of you know, no matter what you go through, come on, no matter what the enemy is trying to do in your life, we serve a God who is writing a redemptive story in your life. And, and that is, that's my story. The reason this ministry was birthed is because in 2015, I underwent um, a tragedy that, man, you, you never wish on your worst enemies. Um, and as I say this, if you haven't heard our story, it's gonna, it's gonna kind of suck the air out of the room. It has both services we've already done already. But in 2015, my wife of seven years and our unborn baby were murdered in my home. And um, it became a big story in Indianapolis and then a, a national story as well. I had gone away to the gym that morning early, and there were three guys that were on a crime spree in our city. They broke into the house two doors down from us, saw me leave for the gym, decided to use that opportunity to come into my house and break in as well. And um, they, they shot and killed my wife. And, um, and, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, that completely upended my life. Um, I was a pastor at the time. We had planted a church there in Indianapolis. And so overnight, I'm a single dad. Fortunately, our 14-month-old at the time was in his crib the entire time he was unharmed. And that's Weston. He's now seven. Um, but I was a single dad overnight. I was trying to pastor a church that we had planted together. And I just lost my best friend and, and ministry partner and, um, and confidant. And it, 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 something like that can absolutely unravel you. But can I tell you something, whether you've endured trauma like that or any kind of significant trauma, it doesn't have to unravel you. 
And we serve a God that takes impossible situations. Come on, any circumstance that we can go through, and he takes what the enemy means for evil, and he will turn it around for good. And I'm standing here as a living testimony to the fact that you can, by the power of Jesus, by the resurrected power of Jesus, you, believer, have that same power inside of you. You can also walk in purpose and in meaning no matter what you've gone through. And that's what we want to talk about today because, for me, forgiveness was a critical part of my healing journey. And it's a critical part of every person that we walk through our course, Pain to Purpose. There's like this third session where we talk about forgiveness. And it is the session that people butt up against and find the biggest breakthrough. Because when you truly experience forgiveness, there is real power and freedom by experiencing forgiveness and then also being a conduit to extend that as well. And that's what we want to talk about today. Now, it's similar to, to this right here. I don't know if you've ever um, drank from a Gatorade bottle like this. Anybody ever drank? Okay. When I was in high school, I grew up as an athlete. I saw somebody at our practice drink from one of these, and it looked so cool. Because he didn't put it to his mouth. He, like, put it up here like this, squirted it. It was like, ah, like, his hair's blowing, and all the girls are swooning. I'm like, I want that. Right? So I go to the gas station the next day, and I find one of these bottles, and I purchase it, and I go back out. I didn't want to have one of those, like, dumb and dumber moments, you know, it's like, you know, like, where it goes. And so I, I wanted to practice it. So I get out of the gas station, I tilt it up, and I go like this, and nothing comes out. I'm like, what the heck? You know, so I'm, like, kind of, you know, doing this. I'm like, ah, I try it again, nothing comes out. So I march back into the gas station. I slam it down the counter. I go, this is a defective bottle. And the cashier Kind of looks at me and grins, give me this like really snarky look. And he uh, opens the cap up and reveals to me, yeah, there's a seal, right? And uh, <laughs> I felt like an absolute idiot. But I was thinking about that later and I was like, wait a minute. There's a lot of people's experience in walking with Jesus. That oftentimes we hear Jesus say, man, I've come to give you life and to give it to the full. And we see other people experiencing life to the full, experiencing refreshment, experiencing all the contents and everything that Jesus has for us. And we're going, why in the world am I not experiencing that? And what I've found is that in many of our lives, there is a seal that is preventing that from happening. And that seal, one critical thing, is the seal of bitterness and unforgiveness. And it keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us, the fulfillment, the refreshment, the movement, the purpose, the meaning that he wants for us. And if we don't deal with this seal, then we're going to continue to walk empty, in anger, and in bitterness. Now, Jesus had to address this because in Matthew chapter 18, one of his disciples asked him a question. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. If not, we'll put it right here. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Now, this is interesting because Peter apparently had somebody in his life that was difficult to love, that had offended him. Can I stop and say this? That it's not a question as to whether or not someone, will someone offend you or will someone hurt you? It's what will you do when someone hurts you? Come on. Because people, listen, people are going to hurt you. No matter what, you can't choose what happens to you, but you do get to choose what you're going to do with what happens to you. 10% of our life is what happens to us. 90% is what we do from there. And so Peter has somebody in his life that hurt him, which I find really ironic because Peter was a difficult person to love. You ever read anything about Peter? Peter was known as like the cussing disciple. He would just say things without thinking, right? In fact, at one point, Jesus goes, hey, I'm going to die on the cross and raise from the dead. He goes, no, you're not, Jesus. And Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. Okay, trump card, if the Son of God calls you Satan, you're difficult to love, okay? 
Anybody else in here have those people in your life, right? The EGRs, extra grace required people in your life. Come on, you got difficult people to love in your life. If you're not raising your hand, you might be that difficult person, okay? It is a common denominator for all of us. So Peter asked this question, how many times should I forgive my brother? Coincidentally, his brother was also one of the disciples. They're like, you see my brother, you see what he does, you see how difficult, how many times? Up to seven times? Now this is interesting because at the time, the rabbinical teaching of the day, all the rabbis were teaching, if someone offends you or hurts you up to three times, you forgive them. But the third strike, you're out. Three is the number, biblical number for community. So at that point, you were allowed by law to sever them off from the community if they kept and continually hurting you. And so he goes, Jesus, I know you go the extra mile on things. And so should I forgive seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but what does it say? 77 times. Now, is Jesus answering a quantitative question with a quantitative answer right here? Because that would be just kind of odd, wouldn't it? It's like, no, not seven times. Keep going, right? Like if my seven-year-old, if he's frustrated at his sister, and, and he's got, maybe he's got like a tally up there. It's like after the 77, okay, th that's it. You're done. You're dead to me, right? Like <laughs> that's not what he's saying right here. In fact, the early, early Jewish listener, as Jesus teaches this, when he said 70 times, seven or 77 times, they would have gone, <gasps> because they would have understood the depth of that because they, they understood the word. Because back in Genesis, the very origins of time, in their Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there was an incident that happened that Jesus is referring to right here where he's referring to it to, under, to uncover a deeper meaning to us. If you go back to Genesis, we've got the very first man and woman. Who, who, who were they? Man and woman. Adam and Eve, right? They had sons, Cain and Abel. Remember them? Cain got jealous of Abel, Abel and kills Abel. It's the first murder that happens in all of history. Well, Cain gets really uh, scared that somebody's going to take vengeance on him. Somebody's going to retaliate. And so he, he runs away, and God does something really strange. He puts a protective blessing over Cain. Now, I don't always understand what God does or why he does it, but, but, but this is what he does. It says right here, it says, And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him. Look at this. Sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Now, six generations later, which incidentally, the number six is the biblical number for human effort and sin. Six generations later, there's a guy named Lamech that comes on the scene. And Lamech, watch what happens with him. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, stop. It's a pretty dysfunctional family right there. He's got multiple wives. A lot of drama means multiple mother-in-laws, okay? Um, He says, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. What a character that would refer to himself in the third, wives of Lamech. You know, like, says, listen to what I have to say. I, watch this, have killed a man for wounding me. So he takes, like, he takes it to the next extreme. Someone wounds him, he kills him. A young man for striking me. Watch this. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is, see this, seventy. Sevenfold. Don't miss this. Jesus, when Peter asked him the question in Matthew chapter 18, he points back to this instance right here. And he says, in the beginning of time, in the origins, there's something that happens that opens up a portal of perpetuating pain. 
where generationally this cycle takes place where pain begets pain and hatred begets hatred and bitterness begets bitterness and it's going to continue to increase and it's going to continue to exacerbate. Did you know that by default, pain perpetuates pain? That if we don't let God transform our pain, we will inevitably transfer it onto somebody else. You've heard the old adage, hurt people hurt people. More than likely, the person that hurts you, they've been wounded and hurt themselves. But did you know that hurt people don't have to hurt people? You know, hurt people can heal people too. But they've got to do something drastic in the interchange. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, hey, listen, over the generations, this thing's going to keep perpetuating. It's going to keep getting worse. It's going to keep exacerbating unless, Peter, you do something so radical and so upside down that it doesn't make any sense unless you forgive. And when you forgive, you fight with a weapon in the supernatural. You fight with a weapon of righteousness, as the Bible calls it, with grace and forgiveness, and love, and hope, and it changes things. There's freedom in forgiveness, friends. There's freedom. The question we have to ask ourselves, there's actually two questions we have to ask ourselves in here today is, have you experienced forgiveness? You ever experienced it? Because as, as Jesus is telling this story, the disciples, they're kind of like dim-witted, right? They're a little dense, not like us at all. We get it, right? <clears throat> but, but Jesus goes, hey, uh, I'm going to tell a story now to help you understand this a little bit more. Praise God for long-winded preachers. Jesus was a long-winded preacher. So he tells a story, and this story is known as a parable. And anytime Jesus tells parables, he's telling them as an allegory where you have to ask the questions, where is God in this parable, and where am I? Who are these people, and what do they represent? So he says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, how many? 10,000, remember that, it's going to be really important, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Look at this. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. This is huge. This is a massive, massive amount of debt that he just canceled. We miss this when we read it as kind of a Western mindset because we don't know how many talents? 10,000 talents that he owed. A talent was the equivalent of 20 years' wages. So you do the math, 20 years times 10,000, 200,000 years of wages. Could this servant ever have paid this back? And yet the master goes, canceled, done, forget it, it's settled. What? Can I tell you something, friends? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have experienced that kind of of forgiveness, a forgiveness of a debt that you piled up, that I piled up, that we could never pay back. And Jesus looked at us in a moment, in an instant, and said, it's canceled. It's done. Consider it done. It is finished. Have you experienced that? 
I remember the first time that I experienced it, I was eight years old, and I went to an Easter play. I, I was a pastor's kid, so I joke around a lot that I had a drug problem growing up. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open. <laughs> it's like, and so there were some goofy things that were done in church. I mean, during Halloween season, they would take us to these plays that were called judgment houses. This was in the South. I mean, Birmingham, Alabama, like it's just kind of goofy, right? And so they took us to these plays in the judgment houses where they'd walk you through these rooms in this church and they were trying to recreate these scenes. And one scene would be like this car accident where half the people in the car, all of them died, but half of them knew Jesus. They'd experienced forgiveness and salvation. The other half hadn't. And so then they'd take you to the next room. In the next room, they'd turn the furnace up and it would be like really dark and it'd, uh, all this like fire and stuff and it was supposed to represent hell and there'd be the devil there and it'd be really scary and then they'd take you to this next room and it was like white and fluffy and cloudy and there was Jesus and he was like passing out hugs and suckers and it was just really really like supposed to be peaceful and stuff and then they'd take you to this next room and they'd go which one do you want pray this prayer and you're like ah. they're like literally trying to scare the hell out of you you know what I mean like <laughs> well then I went at Easter to this Easter play that was nothing like that now, in function, it was similar because they would take you to all these rooms with all these scenes, and they were playing this, this like, plot line out in front of you. But, man, for the first time, I experienced something that drew me to the person of Jesus. They showed me Jesus' life, and they showed us how Jesus, God, comes to earth, leaves the comfort of heaven, walks as a man, endures the same suffering. Everything that we have experienced as humans, he's experienced. And yet he operated with such grace and compassion, abounding in love, slow to anger, that all the people were drawn to him, that all the people who were most unlike him liked him the most. He helped the marginalized. He helped the oppressed. He helped the down and out. He dined with sinners. He walked with prostitutes. All the people that the religious system had pushed out that didn't have a chance to be made right before God, Jesus experienced life with them. And when I saw this, I was drawn to this man. And then we get to the very last scene. It was in the auditorium where there were three crosses up and Jesus was on the middle cross. And I experienced for the first time a visual display of the suffering that Jesus went through on my behalf. It was horrific. It was gruesome. It was brutal. And then all of a sudden the scene freezes and a pastor walks out. And he says, Jesus was murdered for my sin and your sin. Can we just press pause for a second and acknowledge the sovereignty of God that at eight years old, the gospel would be communicated to me in that way, which is an odd way to communicate it. Jesus was murdered for my sin and your, my sin murdered Jesus. That God would see it fit for me to hear the gospel in that way at eight years old and then at 30 years old, my wife would be murdered. And I remember as soon as the pastor said that, it struck me that my sin debt had piled up this chasm that separated me and God. And that the only way for that to be made right, for that chasm to be breached, was Jesus dying for me on the cross. And then the scene starts back, and Jesus yells out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And as an eight-year-old, I remember going to the end of the pew and just weeping, and going, Jesus, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? I want to follow after you. I want to walk with you. And I experienced mercy and grace in that moment. You see, mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. And grace is when you get above and beyond what you don't deserve or you could ever earn. And I remember experiencing, and you're like, Davey, you're eight years old. Like, how much bad could you have done? Well, to be honest with you, not a whole lot. 
But I still recognized at that point that sin was not just something that you do. Sin is something that you are. Come on. Since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve swapped the truth of God's life or tr truth of God's word for a lie, that now that sin entered into the equation and fractured this entire universe. And now there's this ever-increasing unraveling of the universe that we're caught up in. This is the reason for disease and crime and famine is because of the sin curse that is in our world right now. And we were born into that. And so we have this propensity towards sin and selfishness. Come on, I'm selfish. You're selfish. We want what we want when we want it. When Christy and I go out to eat, I don't like to split food. Right? I draw this imaginary line where I'm like, oh, no, don't cross that line. You know, like, I know love doesn't keep record of wrongs, but it keeps record of french fries. You know, it's like, why? Because I'm selfish. This world is about me. At least that's my propensity. And air but the grace of God, that's what my, I'm going to continue to operate in. Can I tell you something? The same root sin, that selfishness, I want what I want when I want it, that same thing that exists in me was the same root that caused these men to murder my wife. And it exists in me and in you. And it created a chasm that none of us could repay between us and God. Jesus, cancel it. Have you experienced that kind of forgiveness? Have you stepped into receiving the free gift of salvation? Oh, it's free, friends, but it cost him everything. You received that? Because this servant, he experienced that kind of forgiveness. And it's a spiritual impossibility for us to have experienced it and not be willing to extend it as well. Now, oh, it's definitely a spiritual impossibility for us to try to extend forgiveness, having not experienced the, the forgiveness of God. Any effort on our part is mere platitudes. It's trite. We need something supernatural to overtake us, to transform us, for us to walk in this being a conduit of forgiveness. But if you've experienced it, can I ask you this question? Do you extend it as well? Do I extend forgiveness? Because what happens to the, the servant right here is that it says when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. How much? 100 denarii. Remember that. It says this is how he responds to that. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This man was not willing to extend that forgiveness. Now listen, this, this debt that was owed to him, it, 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 wasn't, it was no small amount. There are times that pastors will preach this and they'll go, it was this just minuscule amount compared to what he was forgetting. No, 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 this is, a, this is a pretty big amount of debt. It's the equivalent of about $12,000, okay? Now, if you owed me $12,000, I'd probably come knocking on your door at some point, like, hey, you know, it's time to, time to pay up, you know. So I, I don't think Jesus is communicating to us at all in this passage that our pain is not significant. What that person did to you is, he, he's not trying to diminish that. He's not trying to downplay it. I've been a pastor long enough, and, and we've worked with people long enough to know that represented in this room, 
there are some heinous, egregious acts that have been done to people in this room. And can I tell you something? My heart is broken over that. And more importantly, God's heart is broken over that. And God wants to set it right. But setting it right does not mean plotting vengeance or figuring out how you can get back at that person. Setting it right does not mean hanging on to it. Because you and I, when we hang on to our bitterness, bitterness rots the hand that holds it. Did you know that? Hanging on to bitterness and unforgiveness is like a cancer that will continue to fester and rot inside of us and it will destroy our soul. And then it will begin to matriculate out and destroy the relationships of the people that we love. Every one of us knows and have experienced someone who just walks in bitterness all the time. They continue unintentionally to perpetuate that pain. I'll never forget the first time I saw these three men that murdered my wife. I saw them on the news. I saw their faces. Up until this point, it was a faceless, kind of nameless act. And up until this point, all I had experienced was wrestling through the depth of emotions of grief and loss and shock. But when I saw these three men, something dark and sinister came over me. I saw it on the news. Arrests were made, and all of a sudden, I'm plastered on national television, and their faces are plastered on national television. I'm sitting at a breakfast place in South Carolina where I'm trying to receive some intense counseling, and I look up, and I see it, and this rage began to take over me. And friends, can I tell you, this comes to no surprise to some of you, but it threatened to not just take over, but to overtake me and to suck me down into this vortex. And some of you, that's what you've experienced over the past 5, 10, 20 years. And it is destroying you. And man, I just wanted so badly to figure, how can I get some vengeance on this? How can I make this right? How can I, I just plotted and I dreamed about and I thought about, what if the investigators and what if the judge, what if they just let me in a room with them? For 30 minutes, just make it, I would, I would, but would it make it better? See, can I tell you something? Any sort of justice that I try to carry out is, is feeble. It's imperfect. It doesn't bring her back and it doesn't make it right. You see, Jesus is not trying to diminish this man's debt right here by telling this story, but what he is saying is that debt, friends, listen, that debt of 100 denarii pales in comparison to the debt that was canceled. So Jesus, as I'm working through this, he lovingly reminds, he said, David, my sin, or my, uh, your sin murdered me, and I forgave. So I tried to just stuff it. Okay, fine, then I'll just forget it. I'll, I just won't think about it. I'll suppress it. But you know, a feeling buried never dies. Do you know that? That when you bury those emotions, those are very real and valid emotions. You're not a bad person for experiencing those emotions. But when you bury those emotions, they will come back and booby trap you later. And they'll come back with a lot more vengeance. So the Lord was just, he was going, Davey, you've got to work on this with me. You've got to wrestle with this. You've got to bring your anger and your rage and bring it to me and let me handle it. He said, Davey, I am a much better avenger than you are. 
My justice is perfect. I will make this right. I will set things straight. But you got to trust me with it. See, Jesus does these crazy weird things where he's like, hey, don't just cancel it or forgive it, but actually go above and beyond. Don't repay evil with evil, but repay evil with neutrality. Is that what he says? No, what does he say? Repay evil with good. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When your enemy does something uh, against you, Pray for them. Love them. If your enemy's hungry, give them food. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Wait, what, Jesus? How in the world could I? No, 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 no. Because when you do that, you step into this upside-down kingdom concept where you trust me with the vengeance, and I make things right. You see, friends, When we begin to operate in a compassion and a love and we begin to let the Lord do that work inside of us, we begin to set right in partnership with God the thing that was made wrong. But if we don't, we trap ourselves in a prison. Look what happens right here. It says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. Now stop. If God's the master here, can I tell you something right now? God is not, based on everything else we know about God in Scripture, he is not turning us over to be tortured. But how many of us are tortured by the bitterness that has been festering inside of us for 20, 30 years? See, what's happening here is this, this, this servant... It says, it says that he should be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This servant has created for himself a prison because someone has offended him and so he set up a fence. Hello. So someone did something against him and he goes, no, 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 okay, uh-uh. And he's harbored resentment, he's harbored ill feelings, he's not worked through that with that other person, he's, he's held on to it. And so now there is this blockade, there is this wall that is set up in his heart. And this wall affects everybody else that he interchanges with. Because now someone else does something that looks just like or similar to what that person has done, so they set up a wall. And they go, oh, no, 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 okay, no, I'm gonna, I can't have you in my life, and I'm harboring this against you, and I'm do, I'm, I can't do this. And then it happens again, and so you set up another wall, and you set up, uh, set up another wall because it happens again. And before you know it, you, are, you have trapped yourself in a prison of offense. Friends, bitterness and unforgiveness only traps us. Can I tell you what began to happen in my heart? I started realizing that this was going to destroy me if I didn't deal with this. It was only trapping me. It felt like it was doing something to them, but it didn't do anything to them for me to be bitter. It's like swallowing rat poison and expecting it to affect somebody else. Only destroys you. So the Lord began really speaking to my heart and saying, baby, you want real vengeance? Operate in the spiritual. What do you mean by that? Well, who's the real enemy in my story? Is it these three men? These three perpetrators? No. Who's the real enemy? Satan, the mastermind behind all evil that any of us undergo, the mastermind behind all hurt. And so 
so how would I get real vengeance on Satan while I'm doing what I'm doing right now? Because as I travel and speak and share my story, as I begin to espouse the, the ideas of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, if I encourage people to use those weapons of righteousness that God has given them, then, then people, everywhere that I go, people begin to meet Jesus. And what's crazy is, as I'm, as I'm sharing this, people are stepping out of darkness and into light. And now who do you think is ticked off by that? Come on. The real enemy, Satan, and in partnership with God by trusting him with vengeance, I go, okay, God, I'm going to do something radically upside down. I'm going to share the message of forgiveness, and now we're snatching people up out of the clutches of the enemy, and he's ticked off about it. You know what would be really crazy is if these three men met Jesus. I know this sounds absolutely crazy, but I'm praying for that. Talk about undoing the work of the enemy and getting real vengeance. Come on, friends, don't settle for vengeance in the natural when you can walk in true vengeance in the supernatural by trusting God with the vengeance. Don't repay evil with evil, repay it with good. By repaying it with evil or neutrality, you set up a prison of offense. Now, this is interesting because it says that he was going to be in this prison, tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. We already established this. It was 200,000 years of wages. There's no way that he's paying this back, is he? No. But this word, pay back, in the original language could be interpreted 10 different ways. One of those ways is the word cancel. So what this could read is, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should, what? Cancel all he owed. Now, that doesn't make any sense either, right? Because he can't cancel his own debt, can he? No. So that makes scholars who have studied this passage, it makes them go, well, wait a minute. What are these pronouns, he and he? Maybe they're not referring to who we originally thought they were referring to because we think that servant A should cancel all servant A owed. What if it reads like this? Until servant A should cancel all servant B owed. What if, friends, this man is sitting in a prison that he's constructed for himself, but it's a prison that he holds the keys to? And that by a mere simple act of stepping in forgiveness, he can step right out of that prison. As there's freedom and forgiveness. Now listen to me, it's not a feeling. Maybe I don't feel like forgiving. Well, it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. You wait till you feel like forgiving, you're never gonna forgive. Forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision to align yourself with this upside down kingdom that God is calling us into. And it becomes a daily decision at that. It's something that you have to wake up every single day and go, I'm choosing to do this. You see, a part of a very... Um, pivotal part of, of, of my story and what's been really instrumental for me is the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Have you ever heard their story? Jim and Elizabeth were, they were missionaries in South America and uh, Jim and his other colleagues that were missionaries, they would fly around this unreached people group that was known to be a hostile tribe and they would drop tokens of friendship, supplies and food and stuff to this unreached people group. 
One day they felt like they got some kind of a signal of reciprocity back and so they decided to land to try to share the gospel with this tribe and as the men got out of the plane, that, that tribe attacked them and murdered all of the men while their wives were listening on shortwave radio. Now, nobody would have blamed Elizabeth if she had walked away from that and said, I'm, I'm done with the mission field. I'm gonna go back. I'm done with this. I'm not doing this. Nobody would have blamed her if she had grown bitter the rest of her life. But instead, what she chose to do is she marched right back in several years later to that same tribe, and she shared the gospel with that tribe. And they were so struck by her courage and the message of forgiveness that that entire tribe surrendered their lives to Jesus. Come on, that right there is vengeance in the supernatural. Now listen, I feel like, personally, I feel like the Lord is inviting me into a Jim and Elizabeth Elliot story. Because let me tell you how one of the first conversations I had with my wife now. She had been coming to our church and I just kind of taken notice of her. I was like, wow, there's something different about her. I was pastoring the church at the time. We hadn't had a conversation. And so three months after kind of just observing her, I cornered her very pastorally in a CrossFit gym, okay? Wasn't creepy at all, I promise, okay? Um, and I started asking her about her story and you know, what what, like what brought her to the church and that kind of stuff. Well, it, the conversation leads to eventually her saying, Davey, I'm very familiar with your story, but I'm probably more familiar with it than what you want to know. I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? She said, Davey, my stepdad is the, a chaplain in the Marion County prison system. He's been assigned to the three men that killed your wife. And every week he goes and visits them and shares the gospel with them. can't write stories like this, guys. Only God can. And that tells me that God has a redemptive story, not just for me, but he's working a redemptive story for you. Because whether you've gone through what I've gone through or not, or whatever you've gone through, it still is significant. And God is still hurt as well by what you've gone through. His heart hurts and he is bent and set on writing a redemption story in your life but the key critical component of that is for you to step into alignment of, of not fighting fire with fire but fighting it with something much bigger and grander and trusting God with your vengeance he's going to write a good story that's the invitation today we just trust him we release it we're gonna move into a time where we respond in worship and, and communion, but I, mean, I just wanna ask you right now, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I wanna give a moment to just, to just settle right here. Because with every head bowed and every eye closed, I believe there's some people who are wrestling right now with maybe you need to step into a relationship with Jesus. You've never experienced that forgiveness. Today, I wanna to just, I wanna invite you to open your heart up to God calling you into that relationship right now. There may be some of you, you're, you're in this space and you're, you're a follower of Jesus, but you have been holding on to anger and bitterness and resentment towards somebody in your life, maybe toward God. I wanna invite the Holy Spirit to do his work in you right now. So Jesus, as we respond, as we just, just sit and reflect, as the words pour over us of this beautiful song, I just pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. Draw us, free us, heal us, save us. We ask this in your name. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. 
If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast. Thank you.